1: Hello and welcome to Decoder.
0: I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today's episode is a little different. I'm talking to Michael Chobanian, the president of the Blockchain Association of Ukraine. The terrible, unprovoked war in Ukraine has destabilized the country's economy and banking system, leading both Ukrainian politicians and citizens to more seriously consider cryptocurrency. Now, as Decoder listeners know, I am pretty skeptical of crypto but I want to come by that skepticism honestly. I really wanted to understand more about what was happening with cryptocurrency in Ukraine. In addition to being the president of the Blockchain Association of Ukraine, Michael is also the founder of the Kuna Exchange, which lets people buy cryptocurrencies and swap between them. Earlier this year, the Ukrainian government set up wallets on Kuna and other exchanges to accept donations to the war effort in crypto, In April, Bloomberg reported that the Ukrainian government had received over $60 million in crypto donations. What's more, earlier this year, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also signed a virtual assets bill into law, which will recognize cryptocurrency as an asset in Ukraine when the war is over. As president of the Blockchain Association, Michael lobbied for this law, which you'll hear him talk about, especially in the context of how little faith he has in the Ukrainian banking system. He says several times that even before the war, the banking system couldn't be trusted, and that for large transactions, people were already using a combination of crypto and dollars instead of Ukraine's actual currency, which is called the Rifnia. Now that's interesting, because throughout the course of this conversation, you'll hear dollars come up a lot. Michael says the most popular cryptocurrency in Ukraine is Tether, or USDT. That's a stablecoin that's backed by the US dollar, in what's supposed to be a one-to-one ratio. $1 $1 per Tether coin. Now, there are lots of questions about how stable stable coins really are. Right now, a stable coin called Terra is currently crashing in value, and there's a lot of controversy about whether Tether has the financial reserves to back up its stable coin. You'll hear Michael express his reservations about USDT, but what I came back to several times is my main question about cryptocurrency, which is whether people only care about it because they care about dollars. We went back and forth on that. It's a good conversation. Now we've done previous episodes of Decoder on Bitcoin and stablecoins if you want to know more, and of course, Verge reporter Liz Lapato has done a ton of reporting on what she calls weird internet money, especially the recent stablecoin crash. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes if you want to learn more. Okay, Michael Chabanian, here we go. Michael Chabanian, you are the founder of the Kuna Exchange. You are also the president of the Blockchain Association of Ukraine. Welcome to Decoder. Hey, guys. I'm very appreciative that you've made the time to come be on the show. I know things in Ukraine are uh, quite tense and quite complex, but I think it's important to talk about what you have been doing there. So you graduated from Columbia here in the United States. You've lived in London. You worked in tech in Ukraine. We mostly talked to Americans and American companies on the show. Can you just give me a, a brief description? Uh, what were you working on in Ukraine in the tech industry, and how did you make the move into crypto?
2: Yeah, I was working in the telecom company. I was in charge of uh, business development, like a CBDO, now it's called. Uh, we were the first company to launch uh, 3G in Ukraine. It was based on CDMA standard. Right? That's like American standard. Then the Europe is old GSM. So anyway, at that time we launched the first 3G in Ukraine and that was quite amazing. And um, a couple of uh, months later, I saw that the uh, mobile traffic is growing really fast. And I had data to the um, fiber optic, the uh, fixed line internet. And I saw that the traffic is not going as fast. So for me, it was quite obvious that everything is gonna go mobile, especially after the uh, iPhone uh, was released. So that's when I uh, was starting to get interested in everything mobile. So using mobile as the uh, universal key to the digital world, let's call it that way. Then I went to Columbia, London Business School and Hong Kong University to do my uh, executive MBA degree. And during that time I was uh, socializing with a lot of people, a lot of diversity was there from different countries, nations one of the guys, uh, said, well, what's happening with the digital marketing in your country? And I said, it's, it's booming. And he asked me a valid question. So are you in it? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, why? <laughs> and I couldn't answer that question. You know, why? <laughs> so I asked myself why I'm not doing it. If uh, considering that I have a telecom background, I, I see the traffic is growing. So it's quite obvious that the mobile is gonna uh, take over the world. So that's what I did. Yeah. I started my own digital marketing and, um, web studio. So basically we were doing like simple stuff, creating pages for the companies, creating websites, uh, mobile apps, all that stuff. And then at the time when I actually uh, um, found out about the Bitcoin, one of the projects we were developing was uh, about the digital banks. At the time, they didn't exist in Ukraine and there were only a few examples in the world. So we were doing the marketing research on what's happening with the money in the world. And that was 2011 and that's was the time when i was first introduced to bitcoin so it was like the global financial system with <laughs> a lot of banks with the electronic money a lot of institutions and that was like a small bitcoin like uh, that couldn't fit into any of the uh, bubbles that we drew I asked my guys, "What the hell is Bitcoin?" And they said, "This is digital currency, fully decentralized. It has nothing to do to the um, fiat system." And I am like, "What's a fiat system? You know that? (laughs) You know a car system?" So all these typical questions that all of us know now. To be honest, I didn't believe in Bitcoin in two thousand and eleven. It was, um, as I can remember, now it was uh, dropping to from thirty to three dollars. I didn't quite spend that much time on uh, studying what's a Bitcoin. Uh, The next time I shook hands with a Bitcoin was in 2013 when the uh, April uh, banking system happened and a lot of investors, uh, as it turned out to be later, tried to save their money from the uh, government and uh, they were buying Bitcoin. And I'm like, well, so you can use Bitcoin to avoid government sanctions. And I'm like, this could be interesting. So that's the minute when I um, starting doing Bitcoin you know, full time. I don't do anything else apart from that. So April 2013, which means it's exactly 10 years and one month. Interesting.
0: <laughs> uh, and how things have changed in 10 years and one month. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk to you about what is happening with blockchain in Ukraine now, where obviously the entire country is under stress. Russia's uh, launched this war country is fighting back. It seems to be going well. right? There's a lot of destabilization. You can see why Bitcoin would be interesting in that context right now. So I want to talk about that. But before we do that, just help me understand the foundation. Before the war, what was the tech industry in Ukraine like? What was the status of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency adoption in Ukraine like before the war?
2: In terms of um, number of crypto users per capita, According to a lot of researchers, Ukraine was always, if not the first, definitely among the top five. The reason for that is uh, we have fantastic internet penetration. The average speeds are like getting closer to one gigabit. That's average for the whole country. Then uh, a lot of mobile phones and really bad banking system. Like the, (laughs) the shittiest banking system you can ever imagine. So you can't do anything. Like literally, they don't. If you want to do a service, they say no, nah, you can't do that. And why? Because national bank said no. Obviously, in this kind of uh, situations, a lot of countries are in similar situations, especially developing ones, where the banking system is so bad. You cannot like send money abroad. You cannot take out of money. You cannot put money into the bank. If something starts to get you know happen in the economy, the, the government decides that your money is now government money. You know, so they did it a few times. So we don't trust the banking system. We don't trust the government. We don't trust anyone. And now we have like a system which doesn't require you to trust any particular person. It belongs to everyone and to no one at the same time. It's fully decentralized. And uh, with, with the, a lot of different cryptos, you can go like 100% decentralized, or you can go like fully centralized and you can choose you want a smart contracts, or you just want to make sure that everything is good with your Bitcoin. So it's an amazing system, and that's why the per capita usage in Ukraine is huge. That was before the war, and now um, after the war, uh, well during the war. I'm thinking like it's already finished, uh, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> um, it
0: would be nice. If it, I, was. I,
2: it will be. It will be soon. Yeah, know I see the trend as well, and uh, it's just a matter of time. So, um. Just like with the fiat system, they're going to lose. The Putin is going to lose as well. So um, That's
0: a bold prediction. Uh, I just want to point that out, that you've now predicted the war will end and the fiat currency system will
2: end. Uh, we're going to have to fight with the, uh, with the banking system. But, um, yeah, the, the world was, is going to change so much that the traditional fiat system has no chance. Anyway, so what was it talking about?
0: I'm talking about Ukraine before the war. So uh, you talked about the status of cryptocurrency before the war. You said the uptake was high because the banking system was bad.
2: The status uh, was none, and it still is. We, we have a law, but it's going to go into action at least maybe next year, and no one knows when exactly because uh, because of war. The uh, the ministries are like worried about winning the war, not like uh, drafting the, uh, or implementing the law. So at the moment, the the, the crypto is nothing. It, it doesn't exist. But it didn't stop us because, as I told you, we don't trust the government, so we don't really need any uh, government official saying that Bitcoin is something, or we don't need any documents that will prove that Bitcoin is something. So we just use it. It, it exists, and we use it, and we don't care about the government.
0: So let me, ask you, let me just put two things in the contrast here, which I think is interesting. You mentioned that you worked at the telecom provider. As far as I understand, Ukraine only really has one telecom provider, but that telecom provider was... Really fast to 3G, and then on top of it has delivered very fast internet to most people, right? The median speed for internet in the United States is not a gig; it's barely 200. Decoder listeners know I w- I would complain about United States telcos all day and all night, but in one sense, it seems like the government's doing a very good job of delivering internet access in Ukraine, for whatever reason. And I'm curious for your insight there because government always-
2: that's a- it's not the government. That's the whole point. Government doesn't have a single uh, successful project in Ukraine? Uh, no, probably not. One one project. We have the project which is called Dia. Uh, this is an app which uh, enables you to have your online passport for the international travel, for like local travel, you have like your car driver license, you have the documents for your car, it's all in that app, and that app equals to the physical document. And it was this project was only launched in 2019, so we're the first country with a digital passport which is equal to the paper passport. I think that's the only successful project that we have in Ukraine. The rest of the government projects, you know, just failed. They just steal the money and that's it. So when it, when I say that internet, it's not because the government did something. It's just because the government didn't do anything. <laughs> Same with the crypto. If they uh, don't make problems, then this, the uh, industry develops. If government comes, that's it, this industry is dead.
0: Right. I, by the way, I want to correct myself there. There was a single telecom provider in it it demonopolized itself and now there's more competition in ukraine for internet
2: that was a long time ago and it was slightly different from what you're saying but it doesn't matter it was not the government provider so basically what you could do back like 15 years ago if you want to set up telecom operator all you need is to buy some cisco's buy a fiber optic cable to your cisco server and then basically what you had to do is just, um, do the wiring to all these apartments around you. So you could like choose a couple of blocks and you basically just, you know, take the ethernet wire and you drill the holes in the walls and, and so on. And you bring it to the houses and how you, and th- that's how you connected the, uh, uh, your subscribers to the internet. And that's it. You have the internet provider. You didn't have to ask anyone yeah. to do that. Uh, now it's basically changed. Now it's more civilized. So you have to get permission to dig <laughs> and uh, so on and so on. But anyway, at that time, before the government came, a lot of wire was already in the houses. So that's why it's uh, it's really cheap. It's all gigabit is already there. So, And there is no monopoly on the internet in Ukraine as well. So there is no Verizon. There is no AT&T. So if you want to be internet provided, just get your own fiber optics from Europe and here we go. You can do, you know, sell in wholesale. Yeah. Same in a the, in the crypto. So there is no government to ask to do something. That's why it's so popular.
0: Yeah, I want to make that comparison because, right, these are two big infrastructure projects that, depending on what country you're in, like the relationship of the government to infrastructure like broadband, the relationship of the government to infrastructure like money, very different. And you have experience in both. So it's interesting to draw the contrast to successful internet deployment, perhaps successful crypto deployment. And then just broadly, before we get into crypto in this moment in Ukraine, what was the tech industry in Ukraine like before this?
2: Booming as well. Uh, we have a lot of bright people, very educated. So, like uh, the higher education level in Ukraine is ninety six percent or some like that. So we have a lot of educated people. We have a lot of tech people. So we have quite a few strong universities, like IT universities. That's why we have a lot of IT personnel. In general, you know, people here are more mathematically inclined. So that's why uh we have a combination of really fast internet, a lot of clever developers, IT developers, and crypto. So it was booming. You know, we did, you know, billions and billions per day uh, in transactions for the whole country because like even huge markets uh worked hundred percent on crypto. So it was big.
0: We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how cryptocurrency was being used in Ukraine before the war. And as Michael sees it, it's benefits now.
1: Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Debate time. Who gets more out of Wix Studio? Designers or devs? First off, if you don't know about Wix Studio, it's a web platform offering the flexibility agencies and enterprises need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Now, back to the debate. Designers, you can create fully responsive websites, starting with a blank canvas or choose a template for any layout and tweak per pixel with your CSS. If no-code's your thing or you just like to move fast, there's also a ton of smart features, like native no-code animations and responsive AI that adjusts every breakpoint. Devs, Wix Studio offers a powerful suite of homegrown web APIs and REST APIs. Quickly integrate, extend, and write custom scripts in a VS code-based IDE alongside an AI code assistant. Designers or developers, search Wix Studio and find out for yourself.
0: We're back. I just wanted to give people that foundation before our break. As you said, you have an educated population with fast internet. They're already interested in using crypto. Then the war happens. Yep. Tell me what has happened with crypto in Ukraine since the war began.
2: So obviously, uh, the the volumes are down probably three to four times. The reason for that is before the war, most of the gray market, and gray market in Ukraine is probably 60% of GDP, was using crypto as the core banking system. You couldn't use traditional banks if you're in a grey market. Not that many people actually use banking, you know, for business because it's it's useless. You can't buy U.S. dollars. You can't easily send SWIFT and so on. With crypto, no one asks you a question. If you want to do it, you just do it. Uh, so therefore, a lot of businesses worked on uh, crypto, and uh, now since the war, these um, huge markets they're closed. Some of them are destroyed. So therefore, there is no import. There is no demand for crypto. That's why it uh, has fallen. And the second reason people don't really speculate right now because most of the uh, crypto, I don't want to call them investors, crypto holders, they came in, uh, in the past year. And obviously these are not the richest people in the world. So when the war happened... The last thing they were thinking it was crypto, so they wanted to uh, buy some food for their families. They needed the new shelter because most of the city, Kharkiv, like big cities, had to flee to the other countries or western part of Ukraine. The relocation means it means you have to spend more money. So basically, yeah, the uh, speculation volume is probably ten times down from uh, from the pre-war time.
0: So as you're looking at the Bitcoin market now, you're obviously seeing the prices fall. The rest of the crypto market is, I would say, chaos at this moment in time. And then you take out speculation and you take out gray market transactions. What is Bitcoin being used for in Ukraine right now?
2: Two major use cases. First one is humanitarian aid. So the funds are like, uh, like mine we use crypto to pay for goods in uh, in Europe or in US
0: Can we just be specific here you said crypto are you saying crypto inclusive of bitcoin and ethereum are you saying inclusive of more cryptocurrencies or
2: and yeah like three main currencies that we use in the fund it's a bitcoin ether and usdt on tron network Okay these are two currencies and one token these three are used to pay for like bulletproof vests for example Uh, The reason that people are using like the funds, the volunteers, the regular people, they're using uh, crypto for the very simple reason. There is no other way that you could pay for something outside of Ukraine because the uh, foreign exchange market is closed to very specific companies. So if you're like uh, not in the uh, petrol and uh, business or in the food or in uh, wherever the government is uh, requiring at the moment, you won't be able to buy US dollars. So if you can't buy US dollars, obviously you can't import anything. So the only other solution to buy something outside of Ukraine is only using crypto. So that's the first use case. We use it as international payment, means of international payment. The second use case is savings. A lot of people uh, converted cash money into crypto. It's uh, much safer. It's easier to carry. You know, you can take your phone or ledger or uh, written down mnemonic phrase with you. It doesn't weigh anything, and cash, you know, weighs a lot of kilos, and um, it can be easily taken away from you by the bad guys. So yeah, it's savings. Two major use cases.
0: So if the war started in late February and you you said, oh my gosh, I got to put my revenue into Bitcoin, your savings would have plummeted precipitously from now until then. Do you think it's a good savings vehicle?
2: Shit happens, but it's much better than, uh, well, first of all, the way the people do in Ukraine savings is not when when they carry money to the bank and they put it in the deposit in the bank. No, it doesn't work like that. We don't trust the banks, I told you. So if I have a lot of money, uh, by a lot of money for Ukraine, I mean, probably $100,000 and above. So if you have that kind of money, the last thing you will think about is actually bring it to the bank. Because once you bring it to the bank, that's it, the likelihood that you're going to get them back. Is very slim. They will find a way why to tell you you cannot take them out. You could sell them to Grivna, then they will give you Grivna, but again you cannot take out this whole amount because they can ask you fifty thousand questions what are you going to use the cash for. Then they will find the law saying that you cannot take out the, the you know certain amount of cash, blah blah blah. So people don't bring it to the bank, but people store in cash, cash US dollars, because it cannot be easily taken away by the government. Or they store in crypto, or they used to buy houses or apartments in, in big cities, which was a big, big mistake. <laughs> These are the only uh, three options. So, we don't have a stock market, so you cannot buy stocks. So, the only option is uh, cash, like you, you physically store cash, but it devalues because of inflation. You have crypto, and the third option is square meters. So uh, from this point of view, even if you bought the Bitcoin or either uh, like two months ago, was no nearly three months ago, you probably lost you know half or maybe thirty uh, percent of that value. But you haven't lost everything, and there is a very good chance that this might go up just mathematically because Bitcoin is limited in supply. So uh, that's much better. Scenario than uh, owing square meters in Kiev or in Kharkiv or, or in Mariupol because that doesn't cost anything. So my house, I have a house outside of Kiev. It doesn't cost anything. There is no demand. Zero, <laughs> zero. Doesn't matter what the price. <laughs> I is. I hate to zero. laugh.
0: It just fits. no one wants to buy. It. Yeah,
2: you know you can imagine that what happened to the savings of the people who spend it all on on the apartments. Same in China. You know it's you know it's a bad solution. Crypto only.
0: Okay. So you said there are three use cases we we talked about too. What's the third?
2: The third um, probably um, transfers within the country. So for example, if you want, uh, as I said, you have cash in one city and you want to take out cash in other city, instead of driving and uh, being at risk, you could use crypto. So you buy crypto in one city and then uh, you arrive to the other city and you sell crypto for cash and here we go. You know, it will cost you... Uh, 03 to 0.5%, depending on the cities. That's it. You use crypto just to transfer cash from one point to another.
0: And is that mostly happening in Bitcoin or Ethereum or USDT?
2: USDT. People trust USDT, unfortunately, here. I can understand why. I mean, for, for this use case, yeah, but I would prefer DAI from MakerDAO. I don't trust the USDT as, as, a, as a token or, or the company Tether, you know, I have a, a lot of questions. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's it's the most popular stablecoin here.
0: So I would just say broadly in the market, right? We're watching stable coins experience a great amount of struggle. Terra and Luna are in what appear to be a death spiral. Are you seeing that for USDT in Ukraine as well? That that is a ri- a real risk.
2: I see not in Northern Ukraine. USDT is global, so I see a risk for the whole tether.
0: How do you think that risk is expressed?
2: The risk that they just printed a lot of tether, which is not uh, backed by anything, there is a risk that if that's true, that then it's a big problem. The the second question is reputation. Media, you know, shows tether as like an evil corporation, which is grayish, so it's not as valid as, for example, USDC by uh, Coinbase and Circle. So these two companies are, are public; they're like regulated, and and tether is like. You know the big, but it's from someone who who was in trouble beforehand. So I think there's there's a there could be problems in the future. Hopefully not, but
0: so one the the third use case there to me is kind of the most interesting place to start, which is transfer within the country. You're describing a country where even before the war, the banking system was not trusted, perhaps not useful. You want to buy goods and services in Ukraine? Maybe this is the push where a cryptocurrency actually becomes the currency of a country we haven't really seen that happen before but what you're describing is people move their money into usdt they travel and then they sell their usdt for dollars and then they transact in dollars are people actually transacting directly in cryptocurrency there
2: yet oh yeah the the house i mentioned i bought for usdt
0: the owner of the house was happy and willing to take usdt but usdt is a stand-in for dollars
2: yeah, and uh, in
0: in Ukraine, right? I mean, it's pe- you you might as well have transferred dollars, right, with some proxy.
2: How are you going to transfer dollars? I mean, in that case, I would need to to get a big bag, put a lot of cash in it, which I don't have because I don't store in cash. Then take that back, take a risk that someone could uh, stop me and you know take away this cash from me, or or shoot me or something else. But what's the point if you can just you know press a few few clicks, you convert. Uh, Either to use DT and then that send that use DT uh, directly from Uniswap or from My Exchange. That's it. So it's much easier. It's it's fast. It's secure. It, it, I have a proof on the blockchain that I did this transaction, which is also important for for Ukraine because I told you we don't trust the government, so we don't trust the uh, representative of a government, like uh, solicitors or anyone else. So yeah, crypto is is there already.
0: Are people buying groceries in? any of the cryptocurrencies? Are they buying gas? How's that working?
2: No. Uh, so the crypto is used mainly for transactions above, I'll say, 1000 to $5,000. If you're spending below that, you have local currency, which is really good example of gazelle money. There is a term, gazelle money. I don't know this term. But it's basically um, the money that devalues really quickly there is incentive for you to spend it as fast as possible so if you use that system then um, theoretically the economy will uh, will grow because uh, people would be spending all the time so they have no incentive to save this currency they have incentive to spend so this is good example uh, or explanation of ukrainian grimna it's uh, devaluing by 20 30 maybe 15 10 percent like the minimum is 10 per year that's by official statistic. But I told you before, we don't trust the government. So I guess the real real inflation is probably close to 20%. That's why I see if you compare prices uh, year to year uh, of your you know typical grocery store uh, purchases. So yeah, it's closer to 20%. So what's the point of uh, hoggling in local currency if, if you guarantee that inflation is going to eat it? And then um, uh, the exchange rate is uh, 1 to 27, it was before the uh, the war. So for you, if you want to store like, I don't know, $100,000, that's like uh, 2.7 million grivnas. And uh, if you're lucky, you got the 500 nodes, uh, which means the bag will weight approximately 30 kilos. Do you really want to you know, carry around 30 kilos of paper? No, so um, <laughs> I have to explain this because in US, you know, like you don't have these problems. Don't? Uh, no, because just eye opening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the banking—I used to live in US, so uh, the banking system there works perfectly. You know, if you're inside the banking system, you're okay, as long as you don't leave the the system you can send any amount to any other person or a company the bank is not going to ask you questions if you have like the valid money and it's in their system if you want to use crypto you can easily use crypto in us you can pay for a lot of stuff with the crypto but ukraine is different so if you're buying something above $500 you will be thinking in us dollars prices in terms of us dollars but if it's a, for example a milk or a, a loaf of bread or I don't know what else could be cheap, you know, like typical goods that you buy every day. You're thinking in the local currencies, but once you pass the threshold of approximately five hundred dollars, you start to think U.S. dollars. So if you want to buy a car, you're thinking in dollars. If you buy want to buy a house, you're thinking in dollars. You want to buy an iPhone or any phone. If it's more or less expensive phone, it will be in dollars. If it's a cheap phone, it will be in grimness. So. Um, it's a different story. So for us, USDT is, is basically a bank account in US dollars without the government control. Because you cannot open the US dollars account and easily transfer US dollars from one account to another account. It's impossible. You can't do it. Because the banking system is shit.
0: <laughs> I believe you. I just want to uh, push on that a little harder because it's fascinating to me. Just conceptually, there are two currencies in Ukraine, and I keep... Mashing up the uh, pronunciation of the Ukrainian local currency in English, I think it's Rivnia.
2: Grivnia is good, yeah, Grivnia is very good, yeah. Grivnia. So yeah, so we have two currencies. yeah,
0: so you've got two currencies that are kind of open running at once. We've got Grivnia on the small side and most importantly, dollars on the high side. And then the crypto where crypto comes in, as you're describing it, is USDT is a proxy for dollars that is easily transacted digitally without the government getting in your way. And you don't need a bank SQL server to tell you how many dollars you have, which is, right, with my bank, that's effectively what's happening. They have a database, and I trust the database. To whatever extent I might trust the United States government, the United States government has backstopped the bank's database, so I think my money is safe. You're saying, okay, but USDT is on the blockchain. Anybody can read it. I don't need to trust anybody else. But at the end of the day, it's still dollars. Yeah. It's not Bitcoin.
2: Well, first of all, you have to distinguish between the uh, money used for regular transactions and savings. If you want to save, you definitely don't keep the USDT. Uh, You you invest it into any cryptocurrency, like real cryptocurrency, because there is no point of um, holding on to USDT because the dollar has inflation, so uh, you're actually losing every year. With the crypto. And especially if you're doing your investment plan for like three plus years, you're most likely to, to win. That's what history tells us. So again, so if you want to do transactions, you use USDT. If you want to do investment or savings, then you use Bitcoin and either or any other crypto. I would suggest Bitcoin either, but that's not investment advice.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. The reason I'm pushing on this is because it seems like the war in Ukraine I mean It's an enormous humanitarian crisis. It's a tragedy. I think we all wish it had not happened. But it is also a point at which you might see acceleration of trends, right? You might see acceleration of crypto usage in transactions or in savings or, right, you don't trust the government or the banks already. Now they kind of don't even exist. So you might see this rapid acceleration in usage. What you're describing, though, is usage has actually gone down and reliance on the stable coin pegged the dollar is is actually kind of the important piece of the puzzle and I just like in the whole conversation on blockchain and cryptocurrencies you started off by saying fiat currency would go away having this moment put pressure on the system such that reliance on the dollar goes up does not seem like a step on the path towards and then fiat currency will go away. It seems like the opposite step to me
2: uh well first of all, we have to look at the uh Time scales. so for the fiat system and for, for everything that you just said there, there are like different time scales. so it's not going to happen once okay um, it will be a general degradation of fiat system equally at the same time the role of crypto would be uh growing like crypto crypto not stable coins so yeah i, I don't see a um, contradiction here to be honest I mean, for me, it's quite logical that the one fades, another one rises, and it happens pretty much at the same time, like it happened in Ukraine. So if you can't use the uh, fiat system to buy goods uh, outside of Ukraine, there was a vacuum, and that vacuum was filled with crypto. What's unique with Ukraine is we are the first country in the world where a lot of high-ranking officials are pro-crypto now. Mm -hmm. So we have... An army which is highly supportive of crypto because our fund, the, the crypto fund that that is buying all, all kind of humanitarian uh, or uh, defensive uh, stuff for, for the government. You know, we are more efficient than any of the uh, official government military suppliers because you know, for us it takes ten minutes to confirm the block on the Bitcoin, and we need three, so it's thirty minutes to do a transaction in Bitcoin, and it's done. It's paid. For government, they need about a week just to send the money, because they are so bureaucratic. They need like the uh, uh, wet stamp, um, legal papers, and uh, you know it has to be sent back and forth. Then it takes a week to, for the SWIFT to reach US, because uh, the banking system, as I told you before, is shit. For them, it's really slow. With the crypto fund, we can buy anything like within days. It will be delivered to Ukraine not weeks and not months like with the uh, fiat system so now we have supporters of crypto from the uh, all the military from the police from the special services from the court from well basically all the government like the prime minister everyone they know they know about this fund and how how good we do so everyone now knows that crypto is actually life-saving and it's really efficient and it's fast and it's uh, convenient and so on and so on. So it's a unique situation because before the war, there was a lot of skepticism among the uh, top ranking officials in the government. Now they all know about the Bitcoin and that they know that it can actually save lives and it, it can uh, cross the border and it can overcome any obstacles that the national bank, which is independent in Ukraine, unfortunately. <laughs> could do. And um, so now we have a lot of support. So uh, after the war, I think we'll be just number one crypto country in the world.
0: We need to take another break, but when we come back, Michael makes the case for turning the government of Ukraine into a DAO, or a decentralized autonomous organization. Stick around. We're back with Michael Chabanian. One of the things that you have talked about on other podcasts and interviews you've done is preventing people from using rubles to buy into your exchanges or other exchanges. You've criticized other exchanges for allowing transactions in rubles. Obviously, that is a proxy towards letting the Russian people transact. Explain your criticism of allowing ruble transactions. And then I kind of want to unpack how you can run a totally decentralized thing and then impose rules like no rubles. But first explain your criticism of it.
2: So it's the currency of the enemy. So if you continue using the uh, currency of the enemy, you're helping the enemy because uh, that ruble is used for some kind of economic activity. And if, it's, if there is economic activity, there is a benefit to the economy. If there is benefit for the economy, they can you know, build more tanks and uh, send them to Ukraine and try to kill more people in my country. If we as the world decided that uh, we impose sanctions on the economy of the country, obviously, the ruble should, should be shut down. And there is uh, definitely uh, not a single exchange should use the, this currency for the moment. Well, at least until the uh, Putin and his regime is in power and uh, they're doing the war against my country, so that's that's the main idea.
0: But if you are a crypto exchange mm-hmm. and people use the rubles to buy Bitcoin, you think that that should be not allowed?
2: Uh, shit happens. It's their government that is sending troops to kill my people, and. Uh, some of the people who were using my exchange, they thought that you know nothing bad is happening in my country, like the uh, the troops is normal, and, uh, and that killing children is also normal. So I mean, I'm against any violence. Uh, I'm um, a libertarian, so I'm against the violence, and uh, I think only economic means um, are the means that we should use to fight against the uh, disinformation within Russia. And i think it works
0: um, unpack that a little bit what do you mean by using economic means to fight against dis- disinformation in russia
2: Like economic sanctions so um they're cut off from all the civilized services so you cannot use amazon you cannot use uh, netflix google spotify mcdonald's cars electronics samsung that are all the big big brands of the world uh they said no you cannot use our services we don't want to be you know part of uh, of the bloody regime so obviously the, the people who watch tv and uh, they think that uh, this is special operation for the benefit of a russia obviously most of them will wake up when they realize they can no longer watch netflix no one wants to see them in in their countries no one wants to work with them so obviously they're going to ask questions what the hell is going on maybe uh maybe something is wrong with the russia not the rest of the world i'm against any sanctions even i was against the ruble but uh it's a general trend. And uh, if we agree that we try to fight Russia with economic means, then okay, we fight with economic means. It was painful to my uh, budget as well. So uh, we immediately cut off about 40% of our revenues. But fuck that. At least I'll save the country, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: I agree with you. I just, that you seem very idealistic when you talk about cryptocurrency and blockchains. One of the core pieces of the idealism, right, is it is decentralized. No one can say no, right? That's even how you began talking about it. No one can get in your way. You can just do the things you want to do. And so in a moment like this, when I want you to stop paying for Netflix, I want you to stop paying for Bitcoin. Like You do need some element of centralized or quasi-centralized decision makers to make that decision and inflict that economic consequence, otherwise- Nothing changes. So how do, you, how do you put those two things together, that you know, cryptocurrency is decentralized, it works in Ukraine because we don't trust the banks or the government, however much you want to trust the banks or the government. But on the flip side, someone, you need to trust me enough to say, you're not going to get to transact in rubles on Kuna Exchange, which I run.
2: Well, listen, be- behind the ruble thing, let's finish with that, if every single exchange would cut off ruble and pretty much everyone now cut off ruble. It means that uh, ruble, the uh, digital ruble, let's call it that way, the, the banking system ruble, it could be no longer used to buy crypto. The only other way for them to buy crypto is actually exit the ruble zone or uh, US dollar zone. So if they had savings within Russia, they would just spend it all on crypto and um, stop supporting the ruble so uh you know there, there is some logic there uh with regards to global sanctions and um, you know what's happening in the world you know it's <laughs> it's not an easy topic for discussion because it has so many layers <laughs> and the higher you look uh the, the the more complicated it gets obviously we're gonna have to change and uh, but I, I can give you a good example okay i'll give you a good example so i have a friend in russia and he has a quite a large business. The reason he's uh, still not saying much about the war, and he's not calling publicly the war a war, because you have to call it special military operation for some reason. Well, for the uh, Russian propaganda purposes, <laughs> for, so, yeah, for Putin's uh, ego, you see, have to call it that. Yeah, so he's not saying much because. He says that the second he says some publicly something about about the uh, Putin or, or the bar, uh, army or about the war, uh, all his assets will be frozen. So if we uh, just for a second imagine what would happen if there was no ruble, there was crypto instead of a ruble, it would mean that um, he would be just as free as I am because uh, for me to leave the country or I had to take with me, is uh my crypto but it was already outside of of ukraine because the crypto doesn't have borders so my government has no influence on me at the moment at all i'm abroad i'm in switzerland and i have my crypto with me all my assets are with me well apart from the house which doesn't cost much <laughs> well at all probably in ukraine right now so the government has influence so i can say anything that i want about my government With the centralized system like Russia, he cannot say anything because, uh, you know, the same thing will happen to him as happened to the founder of the uh, Tinkoff Bank. So um, he had to sell for like uh, 2 or 3% of the value of his shares, his bank, because um, on on Instagram, he said that uh, uh, this is war and they wish it to stop it immediately. That's it. That's the example of centralized regime. And I'm a good example of decentralized regime because all my assets are in crypto, they're in the web. There is nothing the government can do to me. So there is no censorship. Um, and that's, you know, one, one of the examples of, um, how you can answer whatever you just asked me.
0: If like I'm gonna ask you this question and it might be horrible upset for you to answer, but I'm asking it for anyway. it. you keep talking about how your assets are on the web. So you have a, like a custodial wallet somewhere that someone else is holding your crypto for you.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. We uh, we have our own custody solution. And then um, it's multi-sig and there is not just one, there is like a couple and they're geographically uh, spread out and there is like different protocols for every single wallet. And then uh, there is different currencies which are stored differently. So um, yeah, it's all taken. I told you I'm on crypto since 2013, so <laughs> well, I saw all to... these.
0: Well, you're a special case, right? I, but it's important to ask you because I think if you're a regular Ukrainian citizen, it would seem tempting to move all your assets into crypto and then maybe sign up with Kuna Exchange, have Kuna Exchange hold your assets and then get out of the country, right? But like that's a level of risk that I would say is still very high for an average person.
2: Yeah, it is. But um, again, I'm the only founder of the exchange who tells my clients, guys, don't store your crypto with me because it's not your crypto. It's my crypto. You have the the blessing by the God uh, that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with the Bitcoin and you can store your crypto. On your wallet with your private key, so go and do it. And that's why I publish quite regularly, probably once a month or so. So I, I um, uh, publish with the uh, uh, step-by-step uh, uh, tutorial how to set up a wallet on your phone, how to properly store your seed phrases, uh, how to set up Trezor Ledger, you know, how to create it on like different with on a computer and uh, run a full Bitcoin node. You know, how to use Electrum. So, all that stuff that I'm, I'm you know, advocating for. And I don't think that's only the future because, uh, in other case, you're just taking risk from the bank and giving to the other guy, which is kind of stupid. So, don't trust any exchange, not even mine, guys. No, I'm centralized. So, until we are DEX, and even if we're it DEX, it, it's still there is some risk. So, as the uh, history shows us. So, I think private keys is the only way forward. In that case, you're fully decentralized, and you can tell pretty much any government if it's not u s to go on you know, I don't want to swear
0: now you can swear on this show you can swear especially you in your situation swear away. let me ask you uh, <laughs> but so we you know we've made a lot of jokes about the you know the thirty kilo bag of cash that you might have to have that's very risky. someone might come and get you if you're, it's heavy. you're
2: it's heavy it's 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 heavy <laughs>
0: right but that's like the smallest part of the risk. the smallest part of the risk is someone could come and take it from you. If you actually make the bag way lighter and you put all the crypto on your phone and then you're custodying it your risk is still very high. Someone could come and hurt uh-huh. you and take your phone and now they don't have to carry a heavy bag. They just got your phone. Like how do you balance all those risks? Cuz to to me, right, one of one of the b- big benefits of having a bank and a semi-functional American government is that there's there isn't any cash in my house right and so like i don't think that anyone's going to come and try to take the cash out of my house because there's there's none here there's like 20 bucks here
2: two answers the first one with the uh, self custody well first of all never keep your crypto on the phone that you're using for the uh, daily basis okay. that's one it has to be a separate device the uh, mnemonic phrase has to be written down on like three pieces of paper these three pieces of paper should be uh, stored in a safe location and uh, in totally different geographic locations. So probably ideal it's even to have it on different continents. There is a lot of ways how you can do it, but obviously 99% of the people would never do that because they're lazy. Some of them are even stupid. So uh, for them, there will be always a centralized agent that would uh, help or, or do it for them. So. That's the truth of a life. But at least for the smart people and cautious people and forward-thinking people, there is an alternative: a crypto on your wallet, on your wallet, your crypto with your keys. That's the only way forward. But if you're lazy or um, you're willing to take that risk and uh, you trust that guy or or, or that service or um, I don't know where else, uh, then it's your, <laughs> it's your risk. At least it's your risk, you know. But you have alternative.
0: This to me is the heart of the future of crypto in Ukraine or out of Ukraine, right? People choose banks because they don't want to hold all the money in their house. They choose music streaming services because they don't want to collect all the CDs at their house, right? People pick convenience and they outsource security pretty regularly when it comes to computers. And I think you're describing a system where the more we've spoken, the more it feels like the reason people value cryptocurrencies it's because dollars are a useful currency, and then all of the benefits of having it being totally decentralized get re-centralized by some actors sometimes. Even if you personally, you know, write a lot about how it should be totally decentralized and you should custody your own crypto, the services to the third party custodians of crypto exist. They're growing businesses. Mm-hmm. So I, that's like, to me so, is- What's the question? <laughs> Well, I think as we come through this grand change in Ukraine and its relationship to crypto, and you're saying all the powerful people in that country are now with it, what is the actual change that has been accomplished other than some transactions go faster and we are reliant less on a bad banking system?
2: Um, Well, for me, it's freedom because I can't be free with a bank account. Especially if I come from the, uh, you know, developing countries, or actually in developed countries, it's also a risk. I mean, if you go crazy in your position to the uh, U.S. government, they're most likely to impose sanctions on you and block your accounts and all your assets. And you know, this is what I mean. If we look at what happened with the Russians, yeah, it's a good example of how the central, centralized system can behave and how it can do pretty much to anyone in this world. I mean i mean putin is a public figure you know all these sanction lists are, are are public figures but um you know we totally understand that this is possible you can block anyone's asset in in pretty much any any part of the world and uh there is no other solution or alternative apart from crypto i mean for me it's quite obvious so self-explanatory so,
0: so really. yeah no, i'm just curious i, I think it's a, just a fascinating Thing that is happening there with crypto. You've talked a lot about how the next generation of the government might work with crypto, how there might be a DAO that enhances or somehow supersedes the government. How do you think that would play out?
2: I have a different plan. So I'm, I'm a bit tired of a government this year. Um, I could understand <laughs> the, uh, with the National Bank as well. Um, so it hasn't come of, through, um, but I have
0: to say, Michael, the, your your frustration with the National Bank has not been
2: obvious over the last no, <laughs> time. Uh, I don't like them. I mean, they, uh, it's a war and they're blocking the means by which we could sell Bitcoin for uh, Krivna. Anyway, so basically they're like um, blocking an account. It's not an account, but anyway, yes, yeah, so similar thing. So for for the crypto exchanges in Ukraine now. Because they're so scared, motherfuckers. But anyway, so I'm tired of trying to change someone in the government or the whole of the government. So my idea is, considering that so many people are in crypto right now, and I guess it's uh, my guess that people who use crypto have crypto, or at least someone close to them Mm -hmm. use crypto, or they know really well about crypto, is uh, probably... 10 million people in Ukraine right now out of 35 in total. So the third of a country definitely knows that crypto is something good, and uh, it's meaningful, and you can use it, and it's much better than any you know, government or commercial bank uh, alternative. So I would like to use this momentum, and instead of rebuilding Ukraine once the war has finished, Instead of rebuilding the old, bad copy of democratic society of uh, Europe or US, instead of uh, copying the capitalist market, uh, the bad copy of capitalist or ugly copy of the capitalist market of US, why don't we just propose a Dow Ukraine, where, you know, there will be no president, there will be no prime minister. If 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 I'll just you know paint the picture, it will be a government similar to Switzerland, so it's confederation, so it's a lot of federations, uh, where there is no centralized body which uh, take cares of the whole country. It will be based on the blockchain instead of traditional centralized systems. You're gonna have a digital currency without a national bank. You can use these currency or governance tokens. To uh, directly vote for some some changes in your government, or you can delegate or stake these tokens to someone who you trust in a specific questions, and therefore we don't need uh, parliament or senate or uh, congress or any any other election uh, elections. Uh, we don't need the president. Uh, We don't need the um, IRS or the tax service because we can implement smart contracts which would deduct automatically the taxes which will go to the uh, local governments. Everything will be transparent and um, the good news is the technology is here so we can already do it. So this is the topic of my uh, discussion for the past three months. And this is what I'm building right now. So I want to create the first crypto state. We're going to have the, uh, you know, some kind of passports or ID of this crypto state. And uh, it will be open to the crypto guys. Uh, it will be open to libertarian. And the way we're going to do it is we'll start rolling out so-called government just for ease of understanding for over regular people, governments, uh, digital government services. uh, And uh, with the, uh, these rollouts, more and more people will be uh, coming on board of crypto. So as I said, now it's 10 million, tomorrow it could be 20 million. And in a certain point of time in the future, we're going to see that most of the services are already on a blockchain and we have no need of a traditional government.
0: What's a service that you can put on a blockchain right now? The government service you can put on the blockchain.
2: The first service is a um, taxing system. So we can implement smart contracts, which would automatically deduct 2% from any uh, commercial transaction. So we can create wallets for the merchants. We can create wallets for the people. And it could be different wallets. So it could be rules of uh, how the tax system works. So therefore, we can save... Couple of billion of uh, grivnas on just the uh, budget of the tax service. That's one. Second service, government service is public money. So that's a blockchain. I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. The good news is, we would be able, as a government or as a country, the first country, to evenly distribute tokens to every single citizen of Ukraine, and it would be uh, mathematically uh, Uh, Verifiable that only the citizens received, and uh, that they did receive, because I have the public keys of uh, uh, pretty much everyone in the country. So,
0: how would you prevent like a standard DAO governance attack in the in that moment? Right, if you're the Russian government and you see Michael setting up crypto Ukraine, and it's going to be a DAO, right? You would you would take the entire Internet Research Agency, which right now attacks the United States by making Facebook memes, and you would convert it to, we're going to do a governance attack on the Ukraine DAO and somehow take over the the Ukrainian government. And we see governance attacks on DAOs left and right. We're going to buy all the tokens and stake them all to Vladimir Putin. How would you prevent that?
2: Good question. I mean, I don't have answers to every single question, but the one thing that I'm doing, I'm proposing, I'm giving choice. Because there are no other alternatives because the government, current government, they just want to, you know, rebuild everything that was destroyed, even the government system. And it's dead. It's useless. It's it, it showed that if not US or Europe, we would be already Russia. And a lot of millions of people would be probably dead already because our government didn't, you know, prepare for the war because it was so corrupt and it was so shit. So we have nothing to lose. And now we have even physically, we have nothing to lose because a lot of cities are just wiped out. So what's the point of rebuilding old if we can build new? That's my proposition. So I don't have the answer to every single question. And the purpose of my podcast today is to actually raise the awareness that it's possible in Ukraine It's ideal place to do it because so many people are involved and so many government officials, top government officials are really pro crypto. Now they have crypto as well, so we can do it. I mean, why not just try it, do an experiment? I don't know whether it's going to be good or bad, what's the outcome of it, but at least we're giving a choice and we're trying. If we succeed, great. We can copy it to other countries. If we fail, at least we tried. That's my point. So if you want to join, just help us out. Let's do it. Let's do it together. The first crypto state. I mean, no government of uh, opposition at the moment in Ukraine.
0: <laughs> so one of my jokes on the show all the time is that like every DAO hits a fatal point when it tries to interact with reality. Mm-hmm. Right? DAOs are great when you're moving bits around a database Yep. because the smart contracts can execute and people can see it. And then when you have to take custody of a physical item, which many DAOs have tried to do you realize, okay, like one guy has to have the painting, Uh right? One guy has to go shovel the driveway. Like you have to, the DAO has to make somebody do something. And that's usually where they hit a pretty big crisis moment. How would your crypto state shovel the roads when it snows or fight fires? Like how would you, who would be in charge of making those things happen?
2: You probably didn't get me. So I'll repeat, but different words. Yeah. Okay. We are the first country in the world. Where crypto guys have enough power to take over the whole country, is that clear? That is clear. That's what I'm saying. So, with a little help, we can do it. It will be the first crypto state. Not that, well, not like um, what's happening in Salvador or what else they are doing it. This is like crippled. Well, I'm just saying that we could be the first crypto state. In a DAO, I mean, you can call it, don't call it DAO if you like have bad feelings for the DAO. I mean, call it something else, but.
0: It's, it's not that I have bad feelings for the DAO. It's that my history with covering DAOs is that when DAOs talk about bits, they do great. And when they talk about atoms, they tend to fall apart.
2: Yeah. So listen, we can do it. That's what I'm saying. There is no opposition. There is not a, okay. any single, especially special forces or the, uh, the, the guys uh, with the guns. They're not going to be against us. They're with us. That's what I'm saying. So that's unique, something unique in the world. Because uh, with my experience, 10 years and one month in crypto, uh, when we try to approach any government ministry or national bank and say, let's do this on the blockchain, let's do this, let's uh, get rid of this ministry or or do that, there was always opposition from within the government because this, this is the way the system resists because any system tries to protect itself. And I'm saying that there is no system in Ukraine, and we have a lot of political power right now to create the first crypto state. And it doesn't matter which uh, passport you, you hold right now. I don't care. I mean, if you're for the crypto, you're for Ukraine, welcome. Why not?
0: I believe you on all that, right? You've got the political capital, for lack of a better word. You've got the opportunity Have you thought through the execution that one day you will need to stand up police and fire and ambulances just to do the basics of government in a community?
2: There will be police. There will be, what else we need, uh, fire service. There will be uh, probably army, but I'm just saying that-
0: But what if the members of the DAO choose to, to take all the money away from the fire?
2: But that's stupid. Why? I don't know I,
0: what would be the what would be the control to make sure that doesn't happen. Like you wouldn't be the king of the country, so you can't just say that's stupid.
2: Okay, good point. But again, uh, it would be decentralized. Who says there has to be one big DAO? It could be uh, brought down to the level of a city, or it could be brought down to your area of a neighborhood. That's why I said Switzerland is a good example because here everything is decentralized. So each city has its own citizen and uh they all vote for like local changes and it's up to them how they spend their budget and uh who they choose their mayor so it will be still a mayor there will be uh someone but it, he will be chosen transparently and uh anytime the the vote can be uh taken away and we can choose new mayor that's a problem that we have right now uh with the presidents and prime ministers so they you know during the uh, elections they uh Promise a lot of stuff, and then nothing happens, and you you don't have any uh, uh, any means of uh, you know take your vote back and choose the other guy. But with the blockchain, it's staking, so you unstake your tokens, and here we go. He's not the mayor. You get you choose a new one. It's how you find the consensus among your neighbors. So obviously, uh, if you see that you live in uh, in a danger zone of, of massive fires, obviously, you're going to use your budget on the safety first, and then you're going to spend it on the rest of the stuff. But it will be your money of your neighborhood, transparent, without anyone stealing the money because you can see that w- what's going on. And there is no secrecy of how you spend your money. I mean, because we are not uh, anything like uh Soviet Union where everything was secret, you know, so it's possible. So it's, it's down to architecture. I'm saying I'm not the wisest guy in the world. I'm just saying that uh, <laughs> you have to understand that I'm not the wisest definitely, but I'm just saying that there is a momentum and we have a political power and now it's down to architecture. So now we need really smart guys in the world who know exactly how to implement I don't know, Wherever else we need in the, in this uh, so-called new government. I don't know. So I'll have to find all of these guys or they'll find me and then together we'll just create something new. We have this opportunity. Why not? Let's just use it.
0: That's very exciting. It's also a great place to end it. You've given us so much time. Michael Germanian. thank you so much for coming on Decoder. Thank you. Thanks again to Michael Trebanian for taking the time to talk today, and thank you for listening to Decoder. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com. You can tweet at me directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like it, hit us with that five-star review. And as many of you have noticed, if you tweet at me about the show, I will almost certainly retweet you. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott. Research was done by Liz Leon. It was edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior audio director is Andrew Moreno. Our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.